We are getting very, very close to completing our course here, and actually won't, probably won't quite get to the end of the main part of the course, and then I wanted to spend some time giving you an overview of both the Book of Revelation and the Olivet Discourse. Those are the two major and extended portions of Scripture, both in the New Testament that basically lay out eschatology, and it's from basically those outlines that I think the rest of eschatology kind of fits in. So two important passages, one of them a book and one of them uh, an entire discourse by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll do that next week, and depending on how much time, we'll determine how how in-depth we go into it, but it'll be a survey either way. Last time, we looked at the Millennial Kingdom, and we want to conclude our study on the Millennial Kingdom. Tried to clarify what the Millennial Kingdom is all about last time with a little bit of an introduction, distinguishing the Millennial Kingdom from heaven. Some people don't do that. In fact, most Christians don't have a perspective on the Millennial Kingdom at all. They equate it with heaven or the eternal state. So we needed to make clear that that's part of world history, millennial kingdom, just another era, another dispensation, if you're a dispensationalist. So I gave you the basis for that, and there's many things we talked about it concerning Old Testament, and we're going to see that most of the passages that describe the millennial kingdom are actually in the Old Testament. There are not nearly as many in the New Testament that describe the Millennial Kingdom. So the basis is primarily the Old Testament. We also said the basis for this Millennial Kingdom seems to be the teaching of Jesus as well. So we looked at Jesus as king, and when he came, he offered a kingdom. And what was that kingdom that he offered? Well, directed to a Jewish audience, they had an Old Testament perspective, so they... We're familiar with all the passages that describe the Millennial Kingdom from the Old Testament. And that's pretty much where we left off. And we want to focus on two other areas today. The events, some of them we've already looked at, so we'll go through them quickly. And then uh, what is the Millennial Kingdom like or conditions? So events and conditions today. So let's take a look at the major events of the Millennial Kingdom In Revelation 20, let's turn to it in verse 4, first of all. So, who are these rulers that are referenced here? They're ruling for a thousand years. They'll be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And then beginning in verse 4, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them. Judgment was given to them. Who are these rulers? You could call them both judges and somewhat kingly, if you will. The main one, obviously, is Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his rulership, as we've already mentioned last time, his rulership is during the millennial kingdom. We also looked at Psalm 2.6, psalmist, in verse 6, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It's kind of looking at it from a timeless perspective. But the actual rulership will be millennial kingdom. 
the psalmist quoting God himself. God installed his king upon Zion, that's a messianic king. We've also read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, referring specifically and very clearly to Messiah. And then the New Testament ties Jesus, a child will be born, incarnation here, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, etc. It describes that government, the increase of his government, uh, no end to the increase of his government, government or peace on the throne of David. He's going to rule on the throne of David over his kingdom. So there's a kingdom there. So that's a millennial passage, a messianic passage that will be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. We also read last time Luke 1, 32-33 in a different context. Even on the occasion of the birth of Christ, the infant Christ, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So Christ clearly will reign. And then verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus Christ, he's that messianic king. David himself is promised rulership. Marcy Jeremiah 39, Eric Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24. Four. Mark, why don't you look up Daniel 7, and I'll give you a couple of verses there. Jim, Matthew 19. These first two are the reign of David, Jeremiah 30, verse 9. 30, verse 9. That they shall serve their God and David, their king, whom I will raise up. Future. Remember, Jeremiah is written right when, some of it is written when, Israel is on the verge of destruction. Some of it is written after the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the nation. And here, the nation is about to be done, and he's promising that David will be their king and that he will be raised. But David is ruling. Now, I believe he will rule in a resurrected body just as Christ rules in a resurrected body. And then Ezekiel 34, this is another promise of David, so it occurs on... Two different in two different books on the same occasion, 23 and 24. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Christ is king of kings. David will be king over Israel. David will be king over Israel. There'll be lesser kings under David within Israel. And you and I will share a reign as well. We'll look at other passages dealing with that in different areas globally. So there'll be a global kingdom. So David will be there. We saw in Revelation 4, there's rulers, beginning of the verse. And I believe part of them will include faithful Old Testament saints and Daniel seven eighteen, you got that one, Mark? Seven eighteen. First of all. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. They will receive the kingdom. Now it doesn't specifically spell out rulership, but in the minds of any Jew, to be part of the kingdom meant that you were related with David 
and David is ruling, and David is going to have an administration, and that's the hope, is to be part of that kingdom. They'll be given a kingdom. Skip to verse 27, same chapter, 727. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest glory. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. So there's the kingdom again, same context, millennial. That's in that vision, the final kingdom, that's a millennial kingdom. So I believe faithful Old Testament saints are promised. And what about 12 disciples? Jim, this is Matthew 19, 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit touching the twelve. And these are the twelve disciples promised reigning now one of them forfeited this i think this position he was the betrayer personally i think that is the reason that in acts chapter one you have to fill that position with someone else and we have the appointment of matthias there in acts chapter one now there are some that say paul fills that i don't see any support anywhere where paul is the 12th apostle So I think the passage in Acts chapter 1 where Judas is replaced, I think that is given to us to give us kind of the completion of these 12 that will rule over the 12 tribes. They will probably rule under David, interestingly. And if you read verse 29, read that one as well. And everyone who has... Everyone. So this goes beyond the disciples. These are disciples of the disciples or disciples of the apostles. Keep reading. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or arms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. In the same context of ruling in the kingdom, we have mentioned beyond the 12 apostles. So that would include New Testament saints as well. So New Testament saints, faithful New Testament saints, will also rule in the kingdom. And there's other passages like 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with him or rule with him. And you can read the rest of the verse. Or 1 Corinthians 6.2. Do you remember we read that in a different context when we are talking about the church? It spoke of, do you not know that the saints will judge the world, will be involved in judgment? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Remember, we made a big point that Paul is reprimanding the church for not settling disputes within the church. And the basis for that, he says, you should be competent enough because eventually you as believers are going to rule in the kingdom. And also that Revelation passage we looked at, I think, includes these tribulation saints. So they will rule as well. That's the Revelation 20, verse 4. Make sense? So that accounts for virtually every believer of every age. So when we speak of Old Testament saints, that would include people all the way back to Adam, Old Testament believers, Noah, Enoch. It accounts for all the New Testament believers. And then after the New Testament, we have a distinct period, the seven-year tribulation, so it accounts for them as well. They will rule for a thousand years. And I would include perhaps all of them in that Revelation uh, 20, verse 4 passage when it says, 
I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. It would include the they there. 20, verse 4. So here's a picture of who is participating in the millennial kingdom. We've just described resurrected believers. So there's going to be people in spiritual bodies, and that'll include the church. So we will be a part of the millennial kingdom in resurrected bodies. It'll also include all Old Testament and tribulation saints as well, because they are resurrected and they are promised rulership. Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation indicates that there's going to be people that enter in mortal bodies with old natures, sinful natures. They're believers, they're regenerated, and the only ones that are left are those that believe during the Great Tribulation, because all believers, Old Testament, are either dead or possibly resurrected, or the church is resurrected out. So the only one that remain in terms of the mortals are those that survive the Great Tribulation and are, and are believers. Do the mortals know? Yes, I think so. I think they're promised. So it's living Israel, but predominantly they'll be the subjects that will be reigned. In other words, they will be ruled. It includes, Matthew 25, includes living Israel. In other words, Israel that survives the Great Tribulation that are believers. And who's left? Yeah, that's going to be my question. Nobody's left. There's nobody left to rule. If all the mortals who went into the tribulation are also ruling, everybody's ruled and ruled. That's what you call too many chiefs. Not too many chiefs. <laughs> well, there's there's different levels. There's different levels. So, yeah. Wouldn't that depend on the church? Yeah. Yeah. I know what it is. But every father is a ruler. No, there's a... Every father's a ruler, so... It doesn't say anything about queens, so the men are going to rule women. <laughs> he solved it. All right, there I'm you actually going to make it out of here. Let's see where you go, right? Let's see where you go. So we're the leftovers. Dog <laughs> on it. No, that's it. All the church. The church is up there. Female and male. So, living nations will be a part, and like I say, every father rules a family. I mean, that's part of the whole structure of the Old Testament. The household. And carried through in the New Testament. So, these are at least participants, and I think people involved in reigning with Christ. And by the way, the mortals will come back to that. I make a big point of it here because this explains where do you get this rebellion from? You have to have a source of humans at the end of the thousand years to explain. There's no verse that explains it. This is more of a theological conclusion, but this explains where you would generate unbelievers during this thousand-year period. And there is a specific passage that in that kind of adds to that Conclusion. There's still yes, there's still the old nature as well. Volition, the old nature. Are these these mortals? Are they the ones? Looks like it. Yeah, we'll we'll look at that when we talk about conditions exactly. But it, it's got to be the children of them. Yes, because they're believers. Yes. that's how they got in. And that's a theological conclusion okay. as well. Yep, exactly. We'll come back to that. So we have rulers. And I think all of those probably are in that beginning of verse 4 and then specifically tribulation saints at the end of verse 4. 
and we have a rain, and we don't have a very many passages that describe that, other than just saying different people will rain, like the apostles will reign over Israel. It's all the detail that we have. It doesn't tell us specifically, you know, how does that look, what does that look like? But we can imagine it. We can think in terms of it. You have an administration today where you have different levels and different responsibilities that people have over different areas of the government that touch all areas of society. This will be an earthly government. We'll see that in a moment when we talk about the conditions and what it's like. And there'll be different areas of administration. There'll be a Department of Agriculture, maybe. You know, There'll be all these areas where people will reign. And maybe these Gentiles are not reigning over people. Maybe they're administering parts of the government. So there's a rain. And then we looked at five and six resurrections that account for people in the, the saints in the millennial kingdom. And it's better to describe them as saints rather than the church because the church is just a part of the broader believing community, you might say. Here's that slide that I thought was going to come earlier. So we have Satan bound at the beginning. These are the major events. We have resurrections. We have Israel judged, judgment of Israel. And we have the nations judged as well. The judgment will separate believers from unbelievers. They will rule and in terms of Israel and also in terms of the nations. And all that takes place at the second coming or early in the kingdom. Satan is specifically noted at the beginning of the kingdom. And just kind of a general reigning throughout the thousand years with no specifics in terms of a time frame. And then that brings us to the final revolt. So turn to Revelation chapter 20, and let's read that passage. Revelation 20, and Hanada, you haven't had a chance, so we'll let you read 8 and 9. Final revolt. 7 and 8. Okay, the judgment of Satan. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. That's interesting. A large number. Large number. This is depravity. I mentioned one of the things at the beginning, one of the things that the Millennial Kingdom, and this is the key passage right here, one of the things the Millennial Kingdom does, it demonstrates the depravity of man. A large number. With Christ ruling, with godly saints, from Old Testament and New Testament, from tribulation, ruling, lots of physical conditions radically different from now. Satan is bound, and yet here is a large number, like the sand of the seashore, that rebel along with Satan. He's able to deceive. He doesn't repent. Remember, that's another thing the Millennial Kingdom tells you. There's no repentance in Satan. He doesn't change. He's locked into his character. Read verse 9 as well. Mm-hmm. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. The fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So there's the death. That's the final revolt. So they're destroyed immediately. Christ reigning with a rod of iron. Here's the last ruling and judging. Uh, this is at the end of the thousand years. Very mm-hmm. clear. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. 
And that's described in chapter 19 at the second coming. Now this is at the end of the thousand years. Finish the verse. Uh They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Okay, there you go. So that's the final revolt. On my revelation kind of sequence of events here, we have sin after the millennial kingdom. So you have saints in the millennium, sin after the millennial kingdom. We just read 7 through 8. On a timeline, we have this revolt, and it says it's after a thousand years, so it's at the end of the millennial kingdom. Gog and Magog, interesting, are called out. Not that Ukraine is Gog, (laughs) but Gog and Magog are associated with these northern countries. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10 to emphasize that Ethnicity, culture, and everything survived. A lot of them survived throughout long periods of time, even all the way to the very end. What was that you said? Go back to Genesis what? Chapter 10. 10. Table of Nations. So is it Russian China or is that? Those are Russian tanks. I was going to say. I took that photograph. That's Ukraine. I stay, I can't remember, somewhere in the middle of that area there. What is this thing? That's Keep. I'm just using the imagery just to kind of convey the... It was the first capital of Russia, so Europe is on there. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, just a few images here. That's how people live, by the way. The majority of people live in apartments like that. You've been... Probably the same place. I've lived same. in one. Yeah, I've lived in one. That's most of, the, most of the world. Like, you know, they can't expand to the size. They go up. Yeah, and a family of three or four would live in about this square footage right here. Mm-hmm. Or smaller. Keep reading. Let's skip to Mark. Verse 11. We, we need to look at the great white throne. And in my revelation outline here, this is the description of the second death. 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him was set upon, from whom, from whom, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead and the great and small, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. The dead were judged from the things that were written in the books, into their deeds. So this is after the thousand years, that's the context, that's the time frame. This is still on earth, this is, I believe, the final event of world history. This is where God completes his reversing of all of the effects of sin, where he, in a final way, deals with sin, and sin is no longer an influence because it's dealt with in a final way at the great white throne. So this is the completion of the promise of Genesis 3.15. Satan's already crushed, but everything associated with Satan as well, is is judged and dealt with at the great white throne. And it's a judgment of people. Books are opened. So there's master hard disk, you might say. has all of the database, all of the data to convict, all of the information, all of the names. And another book, the Book of Life. And those that are not in that are judged according to their deeds. Marcy, do you have a... Do you die during that? Yes. Life? Yep. Yep, this is that second resurrection that he described in uh, verse 5 there, or 6 rather. This is the second resurrection. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. So they're not dead anymore, they're standing. And the books were open, etc. Mark, pick up in verse 13. 
The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were them. They were judged, every one of them, their deeds. Okay, he's just accounting now for all unbelievers. So if you have a question, what about Sheol? Well, here's Hades. This is the New Testament equivalent of Sheol. We'll talk about that when we talk about eternal state. People in the sea, you know, people have died at sea, or people sometimes like their ashes spread in the sea. Well, God's going to bring together all those, well, I don't know if they'll be molecules, they'll be resurrected molecules or whatever, they'll be raised. So the sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades, this accounts, Hades is the place of the dead. Even death, death is personified here. And they're judged according to their deeds. Finish it off, 14 through 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's the second death. That's eternal punishment. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire. So that accounts for all the unbelievers of all ages in every location. Second death. To all the unbelievers that are living at the at the battle of God. It appears. Are, are there any living unbelievers? The great life? Is it no, I don't think so. Well, it was... If you read the description in Revelation, remember the blood, it's just a massacre at the second coming. The blood is to the bits of the bridles of the horses for 200 miles. So it's a huge bloodbath. It appears this this is a judgment that destroys all people that do not aid the kingdom. Did we cover the the mortal believers who enter into the kingdom if they die during the kingdom? Or will they Mm -hmm. not die? They live the, the, the whole way through. No, there's no verse. There's a verse that indicates that there's death during the millennium. Yes. Kingdom. We'll get to that one. Okay, all right. Yeah. I haven't made it there yet. We haven't made it there. Right. Yeah. And, but there's no verse that basically makes it clear other than this Isaiah 65.20 that we'll yeah. look at. So that's the book of Revelation in terms of the events of world history. Final event here is Great White Throne where second death occurs. The implication, too, is, uh, I got this from Schaefer, the implication was at the great white throne, every creature that God ever created will be a witness to that judgment. Everybody that goes before the throne, everybody, every other can see them. So yeah, and that's a theological conclusion. Yeah, because I don't know the verse that spelled that out, but it makes sense. Because they've all been resurrected. It could be somewhat based on the idea that everything will be revealed and everything will be made known, so... Okay, and I'm going to reserve this. We'll talk some more about eternal punishment. We'll talk about the eternal state. But I include it because the great white throne essentially settles everything, and the great white throne assures us that there's a certainty of eternal punishment. It's one of the teaching of the great white throne. And we can talk about its degrees as well. Jesus specifies degrees. We'll come back to that passage. We'll look at its torment and we'll see its duration or its eternality as well. We'll come back to all of those things. On the timeline, the last event of world history, Great White Throne. So that brings us to the end of history in terms of major events. And for that, we need to read 1 Corinthians 15. Jim, do you want to do that one? 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 24. Okay, then comes the end, and, and I think what he has in view here, the end of world history. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God and Father. 
when he has abolished all rule and all authority. That's the end of world history. No more government. No more rule. No more that he delivers the kingdom. That's millennial kingdom. So there's going to come an end to the millennial kingdom. Book of Revelation makes that clear. Now, the Old Testament in its description of the millennial kingdom seems to indicate that it's eternal, but the New Testament seems to specify that it does have an end, end point. So you, you might think of those passages that describe this ruling and this kingdom as eternal in terms of God's, remember we talked about God's unending kingdom? So you might even think of the millennial kingdom as kind of morphing into eternity, where God never ceases reigning. Does that make sense? How I kind of harmonize the two. That's God. Well, Jesus reigns forever as well. I think Jesus will reign in eternity as well. But in terms of the millennial kingdom, I think there's a, I think that ends our rulership. And there'll be no need for rulership. Because we'll be all on an equal basis. There'll be no no sin. Mm-hmm. Keep reading. Yeah, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under him. And that's the great white throne, where all the enemies are under his feet. Keep reading. Verse 26, there's the last enemy there. The last enemy will be abolished to death. That's the concluding of world history. No more death. It's confined to the lake of fire. That's what Revelation 20 tells us. 27. Where he has put all things in section under his feet. But when he says all things are put in it's evident that he has accepted who put all things. In other words, Jesus is the exception because he's God. So all things are put in subjection and they'll remain in subjection throughout eternity. The exception is Jesus Christ because he is God himself. Finish it off, verse 28. And when all things are subject, subjected to him, that is Jesus, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one subjected to him, that God may be all. Okay. In the Trinity, there is an order. First Corinthians 11 tells us that as well. And I think this passage makes it clear as well. That does not mean in any way that there's an inferiority. But there is a an order, and the Father is above all, including the Son. And this passage makes that clear. And that'll be into eternity. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul uses this analogy in terms of husbands and wives. There's an order in the family. God has put the responsibility of leadership on the man. That in no way makes woman inferior or lesser, different role, different, different function. Even, and the example that Paul uses, is the Trinity itself, or at least the Father and the Son. Big God. <laughs> That's right. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> Good. So here's the key passage that kind of sums up world history. 1 Corinthians 15, end of history. 20, what was it, 24 through 28. Does that make sense? See how that passage fits? Kind of everything here. Do we have an indication of the role of the Holy Spirit in this time? It mentions the Father, mentions the Son, but he's, he's not mentioned. We know he's there. He's yeah, real. The Holy Spirit. When we speak of the Trinity theologically, we speak of the Son. Uh, what's the word? 
I can't remember the word, under the Father, basically, there's a sub- subjecting, even in the eternity, as this passage indicates. And, pardon me? Yes, that's the word of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So there is an order, Yeah. even in terms of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so that's the end of world history. Millennial kingdom is part of world history. Final event is God resolving the issue of evil once and for all. Now we can talk about an eternal state, which is outside of world history, I believe, and separate and distinct from it. We'll talk about that after we get done looking at the conditions of the millennial kingdom. So let's describe the conditions. Let's take a look at the last area or major area concerning the millennial kingdom. Take a look at the conditions. What are they like? And as we look at these passages, you're going to notice that, well, all of them that I give you are Old Testament passages because there's not that many in the New Testament. Most of them are Old Testament passages. So the thing to point out here, this is the concept that the first century Jews had concerning the millennial kingdom. When they thought of the kingdom, these are the passages that they thought of. These are the conditions that they envisioned. So when Jesus offers the kingdom, this is what they were thinking of. And nowhere are you going to see here an amillennial kingdom or even a postmillennial kingdom or any form of a spiritualized kingdom. And I've got it broken down on your outline sheet into four major categories. There, there is a spiritual aspect to it. And what the amillennialist does, it focuses simply on that area. But we literalists would not deny that there are spiritual aspects to it. So that's the first category. Second category is there are also political aspects. We've been emphasizing that already. There's a kingdom with a king, with other rulers, with judges, with an administration, everything associated with the kingdom, political characteristics. It'll have many, many social aspects to it as well. And we'll look at each of these individually. And I've given you some of the key passages there on your outline sheet. And very, very important, number four there, there are physical, material, earthly aspects to it as well. And some specific passages make that clear, unless you spiritualize all of the passages, which the amillennialist has to do to hold to a amillennial kingdom. So let's start off by looking at the spiritual aspects. And there are several major areas under the spiritual. First of all, there's this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And these passages, in fact, all of these passages I'm going to give you are millennial passages They're either in a context clearly millennial or at least in terms of a broader context ultimately refer to the millennial kingdom. And let's look some of these up. Mark, why don't you start off with the Ezekiel 36 passage, Jim, Isaiah 40, Vivian, uh, Isaiah 2, Marcy, Isaiah 45, Okay, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. 27. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my Now, if you read the context, what is he talking about here? Besides the millennial kingdom, what is he talking about here? Resurrection. No. New covenant. New co- this is the new covenant in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is full of the new covenant, not just Jeremiah. And remember, this is on the occasion when Israel is going to be demolished by the Babylonians. This was never fulfilled in the first century. Never fulfilled in the first century. Never fulfilled historically. Now, when we're talking about the conversion of Israel, when we're talking about the tribulation period, and we were talking about Israel itself, Israel will be converted. When does that take place? During the tribulation period, but it'll extend, and the full effects of the new covenant will go into the millennial kingdom. There'll be a definite outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's just one passage. You can also include Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is broader than just simply kings receiving the Holy Spirit or judges or people like uh, Moses, which was in the Old Testament, the outpouring is selective. But in a millennial context, they're universal. We have a foretaste of that in us benefiting from the new covenant. Ezekiel thirty-seven fourteen. Again, I will put my spirit within you, within you, indwelling presence, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. So the literal aspect, they'll be in the land. This will not take place till the latter days. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. They will recognize God as not only Yahweh, but their Messiah, Jesus Christ. So 37.14, and you're familiar with the Joel passage. In fact, this is a passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. And in that context, in Acts chapter 2, you can see very clearly that that was only partially fulfilled. But Joel 2.28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, Jew, Gentile, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, etc. Your young men will see visions, and the passage goes on. Those will ultimately be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. So there'll be a, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit like never before, probably greater than what was seen on the day of Pentecost. We'll have the immediate presence of Christ. You got that one, Jim. For Isaiah 40, verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, all flesh will see it together. That's millennial. That's the only time that that can happen. When every believer will be able to see the Lord. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. That's after second coming. Well, it could refer to second coming, but it probably extends into the kingdom. Another passage, Isaiah twelve six: Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In the midst. And I don't think it's re- restricted to the temple. I think it even goes beyond the temple. Isaiah 66, that context, several passages in that chapter are millennial. Verse 18, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, Gentiles as well, and they shall come and see my glory. That's in the millennium. 
people will see the glory of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord. Lots of Bible teaching. You got Isaiah 2, 3, Vivian. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain, to the house of the God of Jehovah. He may teach his ways, and that we may walk in his path. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the That's millennial. Isaiah 2 is a millennial passage. The word of God. Come, People will come to Jerusalem. We're going to come in a few days here. We'll preach the word there. We're going to go to hear the word. People are going to come from all of the nations in the future in the millennial kingdom because they will be Gentiles there as well. That he, there's the presence of the Lord again, he may teach us concerning his ways. Direct teaching. You can add back at 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What was that passage back at 2.14, you can include Isaiah 54. 13, and all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. If you want another one, Isaiah 29, 24, and those who err in mind will know the truth, and those who criticize will accept instruction. So, great Bible teaching, great exposure to God's Word. Broad worship, Isaiah 45, 23, Marcy. I've sworn by myself, the word hath from my mouth, and righteousness and will not turn back. To me, every knee will bow, every will swear. That's millennial. Every tongue. See how broad it is? And it's not confined to Israel. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Now, when it speaks of tongues, it's speaking of probably multiple ethnicity, languages, not just Jewish, not just Hebrew. Zechariah fourteen sixteen. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king. They'll go to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Zechariah fourteen sixteen, and to celebrate the feast of booths. Yeah, so nations are going to celebrate the feast of booths. That's millennial. Have the nations ever done that? So that's interesting. They'd be looking back at the Exodus. Yeah, yeah, looking back. Isaiah, again, 66, 23, And it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. That's millennial. So there'll be worship. Malachi 1.11, For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. This is Jewish worship. The nations are going to participate. And then the last part of the verse, For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. It's also millennial. Temple observance. You can include all of uh, Ezekiel 40 through verse 46, where we have a millennial temple in all its detail, even down to dimensions and rooms and parts of the structure are described. Seven chapters there that pertain to this temple that has never been built. And it's not tribulational, it's millennial. It's a millennial temple, so temple observance. Now Vivian asked about sacrifices, because there's verses that indicate that there'll be sacrifices as well. For example, Ezekiel 40, 39 through 42, 
refers to sacrifices in the millennial kingdom, and those are millennial passages, they will probably not be atoning sacrifices because that's been done once and for all by the Lord on the cross. They will be probably something like memorial. It's probably the best way to resolve that. There are probably memorial sacrifices that look back and are, are used to remind us of the one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennium, and particularly those that are in mortal bodies. So there'll be actual sacrifices. There's also Isaiah 56, 7, and 66, 20 through 23. 66 is clearly millennial, referring to sacrifices. So we'll have a, a, a millennial temple. Another passage, Zechariah 6, 12. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Who is Branch? Who is the Branch? That's Messiah. He's going to build a temple. So this will be the fourth temple? You could call it the fourth temple, yeah. <laughs> the third one is the tribulation. tribulation. Exactly. Is the, uh, the same. So in the Sounds like it. I mean, probably. When is he going to do it? You say? Is that well, what, what was your question? I mean, there's always the same. You know, they're looking. But I was just wondering that. Actually. The one that they're looking for today is the tribulation temple, which is a different temple. Okay, so that gets rebuilt. Yeah, that will probably be destroyed in all of the destruction mm-hmm. that goes on during the tribulation. Yeah, the Ezekiel temple is clearly millennial, which is different from. That's why he says it's the fourth temple. Herod's temple is considered the second temple. So, just a question. Wouldn't they be looking forward to the temple get the tribulation? Could, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Jews would be. Yep. So, temple observance. Those are just some of the spiritual conditions, the major ones. Other things that you could include, Satan bound. So, no temptation from Satan. Might have temptation, but it's from the flesh, but not from Satan. That's a spiritual aspect. And we'll talk about some of the characteristics. We'll talk about those during the social, when we talk about the social conditions, like righteousness, ruling, and that sort of thing. Those are spiritual aspects. Righteousness and obedience and holiness, Those we'll talk some more about them. But you could include them in terms of the spiritual aspects. Now, even in the spiritual aspects, when we talk about temple observance, the amillennialist has to spiritualize all those passages. So that's the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. There are political aspects. We've already touched on some of that. We talked about Psalm 2.6. What is the one I gave you on the outline? Jeremiah 3.17. Where do we leave off? Hanada, why don't you do the Isaiah 2.3. We don't need to look up Revelation 19.16. We read Matthew 19.28. So we'll just review that one. And I'll give you some other ones for... The subjects here. You read it? You just read it? That was about that everybody's going to go up to the Lord. Okay, that's Jerusalem, the mountain of the Lord. That's Jerusalem, so we don't even have to look that one up. I'll give you another one in a moment. That's a reference to Jerusalem in the temple. You could use Psalm 2.6 as well. For as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion. Zion, that's the city of David. And then it says, my holy mountain, probably Temple Mount. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it. 
to Jerusalem for the name of the Lord, etc. Jerusalem is going to be the capital of this millennial kingdom. Isaiah 24, 23, Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. He's going to reign in Jerusalem. It's going to be the capital. Temple Mount is going to be prominent. And then the Revelation passage, Jesus is king of kings. It's going to have a king over all, not only Jerusalem, not only Israel, but all the world. The king of kings is going to ultimately fulfill Genesis 1.28, where man is going to rule the earth, a human, a man, a sinless one. And we talked about earlier all the rulers, and I just give you that one passage where the uh, the apostles, there's the, a New Testament passage where the apostles will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. But there's other references that speak of subjects. Jews and Gentiles will be subjects in this kingdom. Israel will be prominent for one thing. But Psalm 2, 8, Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. This is Messiah. It's a messianic psalm. Satan tempted Christ. I'll give you the nations, or I'll give you all the kingdoms. That was one of the temptations. Time is premature. In the kingdom, Jesus will be given all the nations. Isaiah 40, 14, And the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, and all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet, Israel. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Israel is going to be prominent. Isaiah 2, 4, And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. That's a governmental issue there, war. There will be no war, so political issues. Psalm 72, 11, Let all the kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. Subjects. There will be an end to lawlessness. That's one of the major functions of Government is to deal with the issue of evil. Isaiah 29, verses 20 and 21. For the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished. It's millennial. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. So Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. There's going to be justice, end of lawlessness. The verse goes on, verse 21. Who cause, who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in in the right with meaningless arguments. He's dealing with justice issues in that passage. You can include all the passages that speak of universal peace, like that Isaiah 2.4 that I just read earlier. Psalm 72.3, Let the mountains bring peace to the people and all the hills in righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17 and 18, And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation. They've never lived in a peaceful habitation. It won't be until the millennial kingdom. 
And then the last sentence or last part of the sentence there, and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. Great peace in the millennial kingdom. There'll be absolute power. Psalm 2.9. Righteousness. Another passage. There's another Isaiah passage, 11, 3 through 5. And I read some of the other ones. I think I read that end of lawlessness. Did I read that one? Isaiah 29, 20 and 21. I read that one. Universal peace. So political aspects, political conditions, which will impact all of society. You could include peace as a societal condition as well. Social, a lot of personal passages. Let's look some of these up. Now let's have Hanada read Isaiah 14, 7 through 8. Eric, why don't you do the 66, Isaiah 66 passage. Mark, you were, already, you were in Ezekiel 36, 30, weren't you? Are you still there? No. Okay. Jim, why don't you do Isaiah 29. <clears throat> Vivian, Jeremiah 23, 6. And Marcy, here is a very important passage. Why don't you look up Isaiah 65, and when I have you read it, I'm going to interrupt you about 20 times. <laughs> so be prepared. I'm not stepping all over you. I'm just Isaiah 14, 7 through 8. All the lands are at the rest and at peace. They break into singing. Even the junipers and the cedars of Lebanon gloat over you and say, Now that you have been laid low, no one comes to cut us down. So, rest, quiet, joy, even the environment, even the trees are rejoicing. Lots of joy. That's that's a personal. It's going to be a pleasant place to live. Isaiah 14, 7 through 8. You could include also joy. Isaiah 9, 3. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest. Great joy and gladness. Isaiah 9, 3. And men rejoice when they divide the spoils. So rejoicing. What about Isaiah 66, 13? You have that one, Eric? Just 13? Yep. Well, it goes on, but that's... Yeah, that's that's good. Oh, I do? Yeah. Start there. (laughs) Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her. Okay, joyful. Joyful and rejoicing. All you who love her, be exceedingly glad with her. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breast that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. So that's just great experience, uh, satisfaction, joy, just completeness here, bountifulness there. Skip to verse 13 now. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. So great comfort, pleasant place. Those are personal aspects that we'll enjoy. There'll be economic aspects as well. Ezekiel 36.30 is just one passage. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Now, not only is this social in that there's great prosperity, but it is also physical. So you could include that passage in the physical aspects as well. Great 
fertility, great productivity. And, and I think these are plants, literal plants. There's nothing in the context to indicate you need to spiritualize it. Amos, you can add Amos to this as well. Amos 13 through 14. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. In other words, they're not going to even be able to keep up. It's, the productivity is going to be so great they can't keep up. When the, Amos 9, Amos 9, 13 through 14. Then it goes on, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. In other words, no obstructions. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat fruit. I think it's literal. Great productivity. And who's got Isaiah twenty nine nineteen? The afflicted also shall increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The needy. People are going to have plenty. There aren't going to be needy people. No panhandlers. No need for them. No poverty. Cultural aspects. What is Jeremiah 23, 6. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will build. And this is his name by which we call the Lord our righteousness. Dwelling security. You're not going to have neighborhood crime. No problems. Anything that crops up is going to be nipped in the bud. You could include Isaiah 26.1. In that day, their song will be sung in the land of Judah. So you'll hear people singing outside. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security, great security during that time. Isaiah 32.2. And each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm. You can have great comfort and security protection like streams of water in a dry country, satisfying, like the shades of a huge rock in a parched land, just kind of contrasting what it's going to be like there. You could even include, I won't read it, but Zephaniah 3.9 seems to hint that there might be even a unified language or there's not communication problems. You can also include Jeremiah 30, 19 and 20, This is a growing and vibrant population. I will multiply them, and they shall not be diminished. I will also honor them. Here you go. Lots of babies. Jeremiah 30, 30, 19 through 20. And they shall not be insignificant. They're children. There's children there. Their children also shall be as formerly, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all their oppressors. So God's going to deal with lawlessness immediately. And then the 65 one, I've already warned you. You want to read that one? And that one you can put under the physical as well, Marcy. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives. Let me stop you there. It's millennial. There's going to be births. There's going to be infants. And what he's saying as you read on, no longer will certain things happen in terms of these infants. Keep reading. For an old man who does not live as days. Okay, there's going to be longevity of life. People are going to live long because of the next passage. For the youth will die at the age of... So it's kind of, I think it's supplying like a hypothetical. If somebody dies at the age of 100, what, what are they going to consider it? Like a youth. Just teenager, 100 years old. So you can have people that are going to live maybe eight, 900 years like before the Genesis flood. And like Vivian said, uh, in that you have many years of 
childbearing, so you have many, many children. So a large, and that goes along with that Jeremiah 30 passage of this growing and multiplying population at probably a very rapid rate. So keep that passage in mind as well when we talk about the physical aspects. So there's birth, physical. There's growing and aging and longevity of life. And obviously there's death in that passage as well. If somebody dies, implying that there's going to be death in the millennial kingdom at 100, they'll think, well, what a tragedy. He died as a kid. Yeah. If you don't reach 100, you're accursed. You're not walking with the Lord. So those are some social aspects. This might be a good place just to take a break, and then we'll come back and look at the conditions.